Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. designed to help you fall asleep. On Snoozecast, we read excerpts from public domain works and occasionally original stories. We'd like to thank our listeners. If you enjoy our show, please review us on Apple Podcasts and also share it with a friend. This episode is brought to you by a long hug from an old friend. Tonight, I'll be reading from a book called The Oregon Trail, Sketches of Prairie and Rocky Mountain Life by Francis Parkman. It was originally serialized in Knickerbocker's magazine and subsequently published as a book in 1849. Parkman's excursion led him only along the first third, the flat stretch of the 2100-mile trail. He never saw the cruelest parts across the mountains and deserts. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Chapter two, breaking the ice. Both Shaw and myself were tolerably inured to the vicissitudes of traveling. We had experienced them under various forms, and a birch canoe was as familiar to us as a steamboat. The restlessness, the love of wilds and hatred of cities, natural perhaps in early years to every unperverted son of Adam, was not our only motive for undertaking the present journey. My companion hoped to shake off the effects of a disorder that had impaired a constitution originally hardy and robust. 
and I was anxious to pursue some inquiries relative to the character and usages of the remote Indian nations, being already familiar with many of the border tribes. Emerging from the mud hole where we last took leave of the reader, we pursued our way for some time along the narrow track in the checkered sunshine and shadow of the woods, till at length, issuing forth into the broad light, we left behind us the farthest outskirts of that great forest that once spread unbroken from the western plains to the shore of the Atlantic. Looking over an intervening belt of shrubbery, we saw the green, ocean-like expanse of prairie stretching swell over swell to the horizon. It was a mild, calm spring day, a day when one is more disposed to musing and reverie than to action, and the softest part of his nature is apt to gain the ascendancy. I rode in advance of the party as we passed through the shrubbery and as a nook of green grass offered a strong temptation. I dismounted and lay down there. All the trees and saplings were in flower or budding into fresh leaf. The red clusters of the maple blossoms and the rich flowers of the Indian apple were there in profusion. And I was half inclined to regret leaving behind the land of gardens for the rude and stern scenes of the prairie and the mountains. Meanwhile, the party came in sight from out of the bushes. Foremost rode Henry Cotillion, our guide and hunter, a fine athletic figure, mounted on a hardy gray Wyandotte pony. He wore a white blanket coat, a broad hat of felt, moccasins and pantaloons of deerskin, ornamented along the seams with rows of long fringes. His knife was stuck in his belt. His bullet pouch and powder horn hung at his side, and his rifle lay before him, resting against the high pommel of his saddle, which, like all of his equipments, had seen hard service and was much the worse for wear. Shaw followed close, mounted on a little sorrel horse and leading a larger animal by a rope. His outfit, which resembled mine, had been provided with a view to use rather than ornament. It consisted of a plain black Spanish saddle with holsters of heavy pistols, a blanket rolled up behind it, and the trail rope attached to his horse's neck, hanging coiled in front. He carried a double-barreled smooth bore, which I boasted a rifle of some 15 pounds weight. At that time, our attire, though far from elegant, bore some marks of civilization and offered a very favorable contrast to the intimidable shabbiness of our appearance.